welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. I am Perry. This is Dewey. Hi, Dewey. <laughs> and that's Haley. What's up? Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Someone's getting comfy now. Hopefully he sits still and nothing crashes and burns like it did when you first signed on to this video chat, Haley. Comfy is the theme of the day. I'm in a full-on onesie. What did oh, you- I was going to ask, is that a hoodie or a onesie? Because I thought it was a hoodie. Now I'm even more jealous that it's a onesie. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, I'm. That's probably one of the best things about being back in New York is that I am back with, like, all of my hoodies because my hoodies didn't all make it out to L.A., but there's just, like, heaps and heaps of them at my parents' place. So now I've got, like, an endless stream of hoodies that I could go through. Yeah, I yeah. committed to the Do you want to get a Dewey cam real quick? Yeah. Oh, he moved. He was in such a cute little position before. You picked <laughs> I'm just, like, wrecking shit here at this point. Um, I just sacrificed my light to show you guys Dewey. It's okay. And now I'm in this terrible position where the light's on the floor, but Dewey's on my lap. No, Dewey's getting up now. But if Dewey had opted to stay on my lap, then I wouldn't know if I could get up to get the light because I wouldn't want to disturb him. And, like, it's like a freaking earthquake here. I'm sorry, guys. Haley, keep talking. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, how's it going, guys? We're going to discuss a few things today. We've got Scoob, which Perry has seen. I haven't. She's going to get her back. I'm going to nerd out a little bit about Scooby-Doo. And then we are discussing Dead to Me on Netflix and season one, because I just caught up with everything, which we'll talk more about. And then Into the Night, which is something you might not have heard of yet. I'm excited. I legit just, I like fixed the light and then nearly knocked it back over as I sat in my chair. (laughs) it's friday guys happy friday Friday. (laughs) it feels like a friday right now um so we're beginning with scoob right yeah all right i have seen scoob i am not going to spoil scoob for you but i'm going to tell you what i think about scoob just in case you don't know what this movie is, it's obviously a Scooby-Doo movie. And what this one does that makes it stand out from past Scooby-Doo material you've seen is that it's supposed to give the origins of Mystery Inc., but more specifically how Shaggy met Scooby. And then on top of that, it also brings in a whole bunch of Hanna-Barbera characters because the main antagonist of the movie is Dick Dastardly. And of course you have Blue Falcon, Dino Mutt, um, Captain Caveman and Dee Dee Sky is all from Hanna-Barbera uh, properties that all come together for this one big mystery. And the big mystery is, I, I mean, I think Matt said it best in his review, like not opening the gates of hell to let the demon dog out. And that that's what the movie's, the movie's about. And, you know, I, I am a Scooby-Doo fan. I'm not the biggest fan where I can start, you know, like pulling Easter eggs left and right or recounting every single episode I ever saw. But I I just like spending time with those characters. So for that reason, I was very, very excited to watch Scoob. And like, I had a pleasant time watching it, but I think they could have done a lot more with it. Whereas they kind of take the easy ways out in order to make it different from past iterations of a Scooby-Doo story that we've seen. Like, 
If you're going to go and do the backstory, I want a little more meat to that backstory. If you're going to add in other Hanna-Barbera characters, I don't want it just to be like, ooh, look at the roll call. Look at everyone who's here. I want it to have real meaning and value. And I think the thing, actually, the two things that upset me most about Scoob were the overdose on the superhero angle. That really didn't work for me, even though Blue Falcon is from the Hanna-Barbera catalog. Dewey's just, like, legit wrecking the whole room right now. Um, Like, he's literally going to, like, soar behind me in a minute. Um, Even though Blue Falcon does come from the Hanna-Barbera catalog, they infuse it with so much superhero stuff that I thought it took away from like the grounded charm of just like a group of kids who want to solve a mystery. And really it's not a ghost. It's a real person behind the mask, but that's not there. And then on top of that, there isn't a real person behind the mask. It's a supernatural threat. And I just really thought that took away from, you know, like the most endearing and earnest qualities about a Scooby-Doo mystery. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I'm curious to see it. I'm a pretty big Scooby-Doo fan and it's funny because like arguably the best direct-to-video Scooby-Doo movie, uh, Zombie Island, actually similarly has a a paranormal threat. It's not a Mm -hmm. myth. There's still a mystery to solve and there are still surprise bad guys, but it's actually legit, you know? Um, And it works there, but it was sort of like controversial, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of Scooby Doo that yeah. they made that choice, and it's interesting that they did it again. I don't care about Hanna Barbera characters. I care about Scooby Doo, so I don't think I'll like this movie so much. Well, it, it's not. It's like I was trying to look at it from from both angles, and you know, of all the Hanna Barbera uh, shows. Scooby was always my favorite, so I wasn't too attached to any of these characters, but it's like for fans of the entire brand, I can't imagine that their inclusion amounts to more than just excitement that they're there at all. But even for folks who just are looking at them as brand new characters that they're first being introduced to, I still don't think that they all come together in a way to kind of give the overall story enough of a boost. So you you ultimately don't accomplish much of anything by stuffing all of this into one movie. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I know they've done some of this before, and I know, I know Hanna-Barbera has had a lot of crossovers with their shows, but I almost wish that if you're going to go, if you're going to go the origin story route, why don't you just purely keep it at that? It's like I would have watched an entire movie of of Mystery Inc. coming together and exploring all of that and maybe just the early days or 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 I don't know. There there was something there's something so sweet about the beginning of the movie that I think could have paved the way to an it like you could have ta- taken what they did at the very beginning with the kids coming together and applied that to a different kind of mystery, but instead, like instead of it keeping the focus on Shaggy and Scooby's relationship in a way that feels grounded and pure. It's like, like zip, zip, zip. Let's try to like make this point with a superhero story. Right. Like it, it gets so out of control that I kind of, even though they're trying to nail this point home, I kind of lost sight of what they're trying to maintain between the two of them. Like, even though it's there and I know, I know what you're trying to do. You just don't feel it at all. Well, trying to do something and doing it are different things. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's like 
it's like showing you some. It's like even as far as the visuals go, what they show me is real cool. But if I can't feel that atmosphere, it's a different story. And I think that's the same with almost every single aspect of this movie. A lot of showing and and very little feeling. I might I might watch it this weekend. I'd be curious to know what you think because I've heard a lot of people have already watched it and they're they're really liking it. So. I, I think there is fun to be had. I'll be curious. My uh, my best friend's kids are huge Scooby Doo kids. Like they're fucking diehard man. They yeah. Nonstop, just nonstop Scooby. So I'm curious if they're gonna like it because what they like about Scooby is actually that it's spooky, but it's not scary. So I don't mm-hmm. think that's really gonna translate here. Um, it- well, this isn't. Sc- I don't think this is scary at all. Yeah, but is it spooky? Like when I when I did the edit no. for it, they said they weren't really going for that. So yeah, I don't no. know. How they like it, they do like superheroes too. Like uh, Ripley's obsessed with Spider Man. Uh, very cute. Um, but anyway, yeah, I love Scooby, and if Scoob doesn't do it for you, and you are a Scooby fan, you probably already know these movies. But I would encourage, you know, if parents are looking for something to show their kids who maybe just saw it for the first time or if you're just like man i miss the good stuff the 90s run from jim stenstrom which was uh zombie island but also uh the witch's ghost and alien invaders and cyber chase uh those are all so good and they're my favorite and i've been revisiting them recently because i just uh as i mentioned last week i did a podcast on horror queers about scooby-doo which was so much fun, and you should all go listen to it if you are Scooby people and like uh, talking about queer coding and animated films. Um, but those movies just like perfectly, I think, maybe not perfectly, but really well done balance of those action adventure elements and then the mystery and the relationships with the uh, Scooby gang. Mm-hmm. I feel like they need to do some revisiting. I was I was very very into everything Scooby as a kid, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's like I feel like a lot of the stuff that I loved as a kid, I don't I don't keep up with now or revisit. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like there were a lot of cartoons that I'm very passionate about that I know that people get very uh, like continue to hold tight to their entire lives, and it's like now when we're seeing all these properties return, it's I, I don't know. I just wish I took more time to actually go back and rewatch the stuff that I loved when I was younger. I don't. I mean, I still. I guess it depends on the age. Like, all, I still watch things from when I was like I don't know twelve and up, but below mm-hmm. that, I don't go back to much. I don't, I can't think of much that I've gone back to at all, except for, like, I was, especially when the most recent Power Rangers movie was, was hit in theaters, I was rewatching a lot of Mighty Morphin, just also because it was on Netflix, so it was so easy to access. That's fun. I, I would like to do that. I haven't revisited those, and I was yeah. diehard for it. They're fun. They're, like, goofy as hell, but I still adore them, like... That's one show that has just never lost its charm for me. Well, because it was always goofy, right? So, like, it hasn't yeah. poorly because that was always the intent. It's weird. It's weird because it's like, even though I know that was a degree of the intent back in the day, it's like, as a kid, I, as a kid, I think some of the goofiness just, like, maybe went over my head. I just, I remember taking it so seriously as a kid. 
Oh, I took it very seriously, but I also think that loving it definitely shaped like my love for more B movie aesthetic and cheesy action type stuff. That's that's probably a very real thing. I think I got a little of that as well. If I were to recommend a Scooby for you and for anyone listening or watching, of course it's wonderful, but for you specifically, mm-hmm. the Mystery Incorporated show from mm-hmm. I don't know, I want to say like 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. Okay. It's so good. It's really uh, serialized. It's not, you know, each episode is a new mystery and that's it. Although, of mm-hmm. course, I do that, but there is bigger arcs and storytelling. It gets compared to Buffy a lot. It's really good and really fun. Oh, yeah. I recommend it. And compared, compared to Buffy, as in there's some like real intensity to it? Yeah. Okay. I don't think it's quite that. I mean, well, yeah, yeah. it definitely gets dark and weird. But yeah, it's a little aged up and it's really well done. I highly recommend that uh, for anyone who's into the serialized storytelling. Like if you just want your mysteries of the week, you're going to get that, but that's not the focus. Um, And tie into what we're going to discuss next. Linda Cardellini does a voice. (gasps) Yes. This show, I'm obsessed with this show. Dead to me. Let's talk about Dead to Me. I feel like we should give, just in case some some viewers have not watched the show, we should give like a little bit of a catch up and and just some non-spoiler thoughts, even though that's very difficult two seasons in. Um, but basically, if you don't know what Dead to Me is, it's a ser- original series on Netflix. There are two seasons in now. It stars Linda Cardellini and Christina Applegate. And... Basically, where the show starts is Christina Applegate's husband is killed in a hit and run. She goes to a grief group. That's where she meets Linda Cardellini's character, Judy. And then over the course of the season, she comes to realize, Jen comes to realize that Judy is the one who killed her husband. And it's just like this constant push-pull between, like, keeping secrets and dealing with your grief and loss and, and, you know, finding forgiveness. And their back and forth is just impeccable unparalleled and for anyone who's like concerned the the fact that judy was driving isn't really like a spoiler it's implied very heavily oh, yeah, yeah. And i think it's revealed at the end of the first episode uh, yeah I, I like i'm pretty sure that detail is in the synopsis in the trailer okay <laughs> uh, well, as far as i can remember yeah it's so good i actually hadn't watched it i just binged the whole thing both seasons all just straight through with like no breaks over the weekend it's super addictive so the show the show is great season one is great i will also say in non-spoiler territory i actually think season two might be better i hard disagree on that really yeah oh we can get into that i guess with specifics yeah okay but i i loved the first season and watching them back to back, I definitely felt a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but the acting is like some of the most incredible shit I've seen in ages. Yeah. I, they were unbelievable together. And the way that, well, not Linda Carter Lee because she's so sweet, but from James Marsden to obviously Christina Applegate, the way they smack down F bombs is like glorious. Yeah. So, so good. <laughs> I want. I just like. I'm trying to think of a non-spoilery thing to say, but like everything I want to drop right now. Uh, I'll say um, in non-spoilers. I respect any show that actually acknowledges and embraces how outrageously attractive James Marsden is. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, that's played down for some reason. 
uh, or he's well, he's famously sort of the guy that gets left in movies. He's always <laughs> the other guy. That's true. That, no, that is a perfectly beautiful and very attractive, appealing man, and this show embraces that fully. He he is he is quite good. Um, I guess non-spoiler things that I can say. Um, Christina Applegate's character has two kids and they're both great with everything they get to do. But I do think the older of the two, Charlie gets a really, uh, interesting arc in season two. And I can't wait to see him do more with that role. The actor who plays him is Sam McCarthy. And I was, I was very impressed by him in season two in particular, but also the detective that's after them played by Diana Maria Riva. I, I thought she, it was like another situation where I thought she just like, she did the job she had to do very well in season one, but what she gets to do in season two excited me to no end. And shockingly, she was one of the uh, supporting characters who got one of my favorite scenes of the entire show. Oh, nice. I like her a lot. In in the first season, she was mostly just playing a straight man occasionally for their antics, but she got more to do and that was a lot of fun. I approve. The whole cast is really amazing. I can't say enough about the acting, to be honestly. To be honestly, uh, it really is like absurd to me that this wasn't in the awards conversation for the first season because not nearly so- enough. Yeah, I think uh, Christina Applegate got the Golden Globe nomination. If I'm the Golden Globe and the the Emmy nomination, but like the fact and and a Screen Actors Guild nomination too. Now that I'm looking at the list, but like. Where is Linda Cardellini? They should both be nominated, and this show should get nominated for way more than just their performances, too. I mean, really, when you think about what they accomplished with the writing with this show, especially with taking this concept and managing to sustain it, and also suggest that it's got more room to grow for two seasons and beyond, is really, really impressive. And also, when you see how quickly the show can veer from, like, laugh-out-loud comedic territory to kind of, like, break your heart, like, turn on the waterworks full force. Like, a show shouldn't be able to switch back and forth that quickly, but this one does. The writing is really spectacular. You know, like I said, I watched it all straight through. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, did not stop. I believe you. Uh, That is because the show zooms so aggressively. Yeah. it just moves and moves and moves and it's really well orchestrated so that of course, I mean, it's Netflix, they know what they're doing, but every end of every episode, you're like going to have to start the next one. Don't have yeah. a place. Well, the cool thing about that too, and I, I, I pointed this out in my season two uh, review is that, you know, like I don't want it to come across. Like I think it's a manipulative thing that they have a story beat at the end of every single episode that forces you to click next because you need the answer to like this specific thing, or you need to know what this specific thing that they just introduced means. It's like, like, yes, that is there as a story mechanism, but the reason why that thing means so much to you is because you become obsessed with Jen and Judy. You become so, so attached to to the two of them and just like their friendship starts to mean so much to you after a mere episode or two that that that's the connectivity that is really driving you from episode to episode, not like a, a cheap cliffhanger. Sure. I see. What you, I mean, I think it is manipulative, but all storytelling is manipulation. Uh, like they're trying to work their emotions. Anytime someone tells a story, but like, 
I don't I guess. think that's a bad thing. And I think that you say it very well that it's never like, you know, at the last 30 seconds of the episode, somebody's like, and now we've invented a time travel machine. And you're like, what? I also, I also do really, th- like, I, I guess you could say every single form of storytelling out there is manipulative. But with this, what, what I think is, if this was manipulative in a bad sense, I'd be able to click next, get my answer, and then shut it off. True. But because the show digs its claws in so well, like, there is no turning it off. It's like you end up in a place where you have to click next, but then you're right back there with the characters and you need to spend more time with them. And it's this vicious cycle that could keep you watching for hours and hours and hours. Can confirm. (laughs) When I was watching it, I was like, okay, after the season one finale, I have to put in a load of laundry. That turned out to be the season two finale. This all makes so much sense to me. Can we talk about spoilers now? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so, it's so good. All right, this is your spoiler warning. If you are not caught up with the entirety of Dead to Me, seasons one and season two, this part of the conversation is not for you, but I would recommend you scroll forward in this episode of The Witching Hour because we're also going to talk non-spoilers about another Netflix show called Into the Night, and that's something that I don't think we want you to miss. So scroll ahead, find a safe sp- space, but this time is for Dead to Me spoilers only. Oh, where to even begin? At the end of season one, I'm like, how Like, how do you keep this going? How can you possibly keep this going where it's not the same repetitive thing over and over and over again? And the crazy thing is, season two is almost season one all over again. But it's kind of just putting Jen in Judy's shoes, where now she's the one carrying the guilt for killing someone. And she's trying to like bottle it all up and keep it to herself while like tiptoeing around Judy. And you would think that a repetitive story like that would grow tiresome and old and I would get sick of the show, but all it does is wind up enhancing their friendship and, and like almost taking the time to reveal like little nuances and cracks in the, the concept of dealing with forgiveness and guilt that I think that most shows wouldn't do if they didn't kind of, you know, retrace the steps that they had in prior seasons. So this is a case where I think that works exceptionally well. Yeah. I, they're like mirror seasons to each other mm-hmm. and complement each other really well. My problem with season two that I was never able to fully get over is that she's a straight up fucking murderer. Straight up, that's murder. She's a bad person and a murderer. And I was not able to get past that. Okay. Like Judy what? killed someone on an accident and was tormented by it, she fucking murdered him to his back like a coward. That is that is extremely fair. I think in the end, I was very swayed by her conversation with the detective where even though, and like, I don't want to make it, sound like I'm saying murder is okay, but even though he was walking away and she bashed him in the head with the bird, like, he was trespassing on her property, she told him to leave, and also, like, part of the reason why I think that all gets jumbled up a little, it's because we didn't really get a play-by-play in season one, and what we're seeing in season two is, like, little snippets from her memory, and it's, it's like, I almost feel like, looking back on it, it's probably warped by, like, Jen's 
Jen's own opinions on what went down. It's like, I wouldn't be surprised if we got even more clarity on exactly what happened there in season three. You know what I mean? I could see that. But I also, if they were to go back and change it so that he was directly attacking her, I would find that cowardly story writing. They made a choice and committed to it. I don't think they would do that because I think one of the things that both seasons have done quite well is just like focus, focus on the, the gray area. Like nothing's black and white, nothing's cut or dry in this show. You can't necessarily say, you, you can't necessarily label like in particular with Judy, like it'd be so easy to be like, you are a bad person. You did a bad thing and you should never get any forgiveness or happiness in the rest of your life. But this is a show that's always taken that and, you know, dug into the cracks and kind of gotten past it in a way that shows that forgiveness is important and that certain people make certain mistakes that need to be moved on from, if that makes any sense. So I don't know. And it's also the way that they shot all the flashbacks with Jen and Steve. It's like that always had a very different visual language that always suggested to me that like this, this isn't 100% like it, it almost felt like uh I mean not like not like drunk vision, but you know, like a little fuzzy. Like yeah. a like a fuzzy memory. Mm-hmm. I I I hear all that. I I still think she's a fucking murderer. <laughs> like I can't get past that. I you know, like he he sucks, but that doesn't mean you murder him. And like I, I understand that there are laws that say that you can kill someone if they don't leave your property. I don't fully support those laws. I think that's a little intense. Uh, and yeah, that's a bigger conversation than I oh, want yeah. to do here. But, but I also don't think that it's morally clear to just shoot someone because they won't leave your property, you know? No. Uh, so that doesn't work for me either as a justification. It's interesting. I still enjoyed season two, but I wasn't able to invest in her story mm-hmm. as thoroughly as I was Judy's because I, you know, that part when she's like, you're, you're Robert De Niro in every fucking movie he's ever been in. I'm like, yeah, you are though, and there should be consequences for that. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's fair because, like, clearly, I can't refute that point fully, and I'm definitely latching on to the fact that that I think we're going to get more clarity on it in season three. Yeah, but going off of what you had just mentioned, I definitely think that. Whereas season one was maybe a tour de force in particular for Christina Applegate. I think Linda Cardellini just runs away with this one. She's so good. Yeah. What an underrated performer. Really? And it's just like, like I was going back and just rewatching little bits and pieces here. Like if you really just focus on her timing and her intonation, it's like, there was one scene that I was really hooked on the other day. It's the one. Okay. It's where um, it's where she knows that Jen kissed Ben, but she's drunk and pouting about it. Just go back and watch their back and forth, just the two of them together, and then how it evolves when Charlie walks into the room. And I like she doesn't even have the the heavy lifting as far as you know, as far as the dialogue goes. I guess it's it's just her like perfectly timed you know, backing Jen up moments. And they're so laugh out loud funny. I I constantly was noticing her timing in just throwaway lines. Like, oh my God, she can turn anything into a punchline. It feels like. Yeah. 
It really is. I honestly just, they should show this in acting class and like give people a hard copy of the script and then go watch what they did with that. I feel like, uh, I I keep meaning to, you know, they did a live read the other night too. And I keep meaning to go watch it. I watched like a teeny tiny sliver the other day and then got distracted by something, but I need to go back and rewatch it. But I feel like that, that drunk conversation is a good one to do that with. And then that scene of them at the bar, like when they're, they're getting super emotional right before their dance session. And especially the part, and this is in the trailer where that guy comes over, like Christina Applegate's speech is just like, there are some perfect F-bombs in those lines. Oh, she is a master of it. I, I Oh, man. I feel so... I think this is a really good part of the writing, too. And I, I, I imagine a lot of people feel this way when you watch it, which is so, like, directly between those two characters. There's the part of you that's really pure and optimistic, and there's the part of you that's just filled with rage and scathing and... um I relate to both of them so much in different ways. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. <laughs> I love that dynamic. And they're like, you know, they're like the little angel and devil on the shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is very much like that. That is kind of how I picture them. Um, oh God. I was going to say something else kind of important. And I lost my train. I thought, Oh, one very clear thing that I think season two does better than season one and not that this wasn't good in season one, but I think the comedy in season two is a million times stronger. Like I was laughing out loud the entirety of season one, but there were a couple beats here and there that didn't work as well as others. But what kept me so invested was how obsessed I was with Jen and Judy and their friendship. So everything worked well in season one. I still loved it, but there are so many more laugh out loud moments and quotable lines in season two. And it's just like, I think they had something that worked real well in season one, but they were like off and running in season two. I think that often happens with comedy, right? Like you find, you get your rhythm down together as performers and then the writers know how to write to the strengths Mm -hmm. of the actors. And I definitely agree that shows it's, Harder for me to track because I did watch them all in like six hours or whatever. But uh, so to me, it just feels like the humor of the show. Yeah. Um, Definitely. I can think immediately of more moments that stand out from season two in terms of comedy, like straight off. Yeah, man. It's, it's so hard to judge that though. Cause it's like, obviously they stick out more to me cause that's fresher on my mind, but I, I don't know. I, de- I definitely, um, I I definitely had a stronger response to season two and that's even after falling head over heels for season one. And I also think that comes down to a lot of the new characters or the new character that they added, because I also think that Natalie Morales is like so severely underrated and not getting the credit she deserves for delivering in every freaking thing that she's in. I know this summit. So when I was watching the first season, I was thinking that in many ways, not just for the surface qualities, but in many ways it did remind me of Santa Clarita Diet. And then Mm -hmm. when she showed up, I was like, yeah, yeah. He's so good. She's so good. And I love their chemistry. And I love where they left it with them too, because that's something that I'm really excited to explore more of. Um, Who there was some there was someone else that I wanted to shout out that that got more in this season that I think really rounded it out. Oh, God, my brain's not working. It's Friday. It's Friday. Alien, I can't handle it. Oh, Karen. I love Karen. 
I can't even remember who the fuck Karen is. What's wrong with me? Karen is the neighbor? neighbor who always comes over at the worst possible time. But like one of one of my favorite moments was at the very very end when uh, when uh, Judy runs into Karen in the street and she's like trying to be polite, Judy, but she's like, no, no, not now, and she's running away. They're running conversation there. I was cracking up. But Karen is played by Susie Nakamura. Nakamura. And I, I think she's just like, that's one character that's like, it's almost like a one joke thing, but it keeps working over yeah. and over and over and over again. And I feel like they're, they're going to do more with Karen in season three because of the whole thing with her husband. So I have a feeling this was a nice step up for Karen, but we're going to see even more of her the next time around. I hope so. She was fantastic. And I think the reason why it works every time is because they're very smart about not overdoing it. Like mm-hmm. they pick whatever the apex is of the worst moment she could show up throughout, not just an episode, but the course of the season. And that should be. Oh, sorry. That's when she brings a bottle of orange wine. I was going to say we should be drinking orange wine right now. I wish. I kind of wish too. <laughs> I'll do that later. I got I won't drink orange wine, but I will drink orange beer later. I'd try orange wine. I'll try anything once. Not true. But, um, <laughs> I, I got sent a, a bottle of champagne, so I have to pick her like a special moment to enjoy that. Do you really, though? You can just have it at any moment and say that was a special moment just because. It could be a very special moment. <laughs> Make sure you Zoom me when you have that special moment so you can come yeah, with us. That's not fair. It's, it is weird that, like, I, like, nine o'clock like drinky starting time for you is like almost sleep time for me yeah throw me off bummer. before before we we go down that rabbit hole though what predictions do you have for season three based on where we left off because like we said before cliffhangers um i'm trying to remember exactly where it left off my predictions uh Gosh, I don't know. I don't have as many like lingering questions this time. I oh, I have so many. Really? Like what? I have, I have so many. Um, all right, let me let me go let me go down the list. Oh, I have one, which is that the sun is totally going to be fucked when they find that body. You think? I do. I don't, but I don't even think the sun's the only one that's going to get fucked. It's like when they find the body, and they they did pretty much find the body. I'm pretty sure. That's a done deal. Um, But but not only could he possibly get in trouble for the crime, but then on top of that, he also read the letter in the box. So it's like, what else does he know that could maybe further implicate him, but also maybe make him not trust his mother anymore? So there could be a, a, a... reforming of that rift there even after they had grown so close um there's also a very real situation where detective perez could wind up basically switching sides Mm -hmm. it's like she had that whole moment with jen technically she was aware of what happened she got an official confession and she sent her home so now she could be fighting for her job maybe that'll mean brandon scott comes back for more stuff and it'll be you know prager versus perez because he doesn't really know what she did yeah I, like, I thing. think Perez is in for a rough time next season because um, she did. Well, I don't want to say the right thing because I obviously don't disagree with it, but she did something merciful mm-hmm. and usually you pay for that in trauma. 
Well, yeah, that's very true. I I also really will stick to my thing that I I think there's going to be a little more clarity as far as what happened that night between Jen and Steve. I don't think they're done with that. And I I also think season three is going to be a very similar format to season one and season two with now Jen and Judy. And then you have been on the other side where they're keeping secrets from each other, but one really knows what happened to the other. And it's going to be them, you know, figuring all of that out and, Ben getting over his guilt now, probably, but right. I, I think there's going to be a lot of that. I don't think we've seen the last of of his mother, so I think she'll be. I think she's going to be back, and I, I kind of hope we get to spend a little bit of time with Ben and Steve's mother, and with um with uh, Lorna, Jen's mother in law. Like she she made that point very clearly that like like listen. Uh, Miss Woods, like, she needs you right now. And who better to help her through this than you? Like, I want to see that moment because the two of them are so, so good. So I want to see them have those moments together. Lorna is a great character. I totally yeah. about her. What a performance there as well. Valerie Mahaffey. So tough to nail that sort of, like, hazy, pilled out vibe. Yeah. Uh, without being over the top or, or she is funny, but she's not playing it for laughs. You know? Yeah. Funny. And it's a, and it's really earnest to the character. Yeah. And then of course, every show is better with more Francis Conroy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think Natalie Morales is coming back? I hope so. They could go either way with how they left it. Um, I think that based on the, what I've seen of the crowd reaction to her character so far, they probably will. Cause everyone really loved that. I think she's going to come back. Narratively, they could go either way with that. They could go either way, but I I think that they're going to use her to bring Judy and Detective Perez closer. Because, again, they made, like, a really big point at the end of the season where she's like, like, Detective Perez is like, yeah, hopefully I'll never, ever see you again. And Judy's like, you don't really mean that. I have a feeling they're going to be forced together in season three because of what Detective Perez knows. And then probably also adding an extra wrinkle through Michelle coming back. I could see it. I I could see that she's already served that purpose and having moved out, that's basically accomplished. Like she forced um, the detective into their life in a more intimate way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I hope that that's not the case because she's wonderful. And I really really appreciated how they handled Judy's sexuality in the sense that they didn't address it at all. Yeah. Just is. And I love that. That was, that was extremely well done, but going back to detective Perez really quickly, it's like, what if she's feeling guilt over driving Michelle away? And that'll be her form of forgiveness now (laughs) kind of like be okay with, be okay with her having moved on, but them kind of repairing whatever rift was left. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm coming up with all these ideas because like I care so much about all these characters and I want to know every freaking detail of, of their existence. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm still struggling to care about the son. I, I'm the older son. I, it's oh, really? I, I just, you know, teenagers, man. Well, but yeah, he's, he's good. And it's not a, it's not against the actor. It's just, I don't, I don't have a hook there yet. That really makes me go for him and because his role in the show has largely been not he's not an antagonist but he serves an antagonistic function and makes their lives a lot more difficult um so like my response to him is sort of in that sense like every time he's around i'm like ah fuck 
I think I, I think I always felt from him, felt for him from the beginning because I knew so much of that angst came from losing his father. Yes. Like, the, the, yeah. The thing with like the game and him wanting him wanting her to play the video game with him has always stuck with me. So it's like because I oh because I've always known that it's come from that place. I feel like I've been more forgiving with him being like a jerk of a teenager. I don't hate him. I don't even think he's that much of a jerk. He's just a teenager, and they're yeah. really hard to take. You know. <laughs> um, I I don't kids of any age aren't specifically for me, but <laughs> I I really enjoyed. And I guess I wish there was a little more, but they're they're past it. Sorry, I'm rambling. But in the first season, his dynamic with Judy, I thought was really good and mm-hmm. loved to watch evolve. Um, when they had that chat that ended with her ordering a pizza, I thought yeah. that was one of my favorite moments. And I like that. Oh, I do, man. I like him, but just his function on the show is to provoke anxiety, kind of. So maybe that's the effect he has on me. It makes me so sad that like. They were going to have this moment where they bring him the car together and now they're not going to have it. <laughs> like, this is the reaction I should be having, though. It Like, like it genuinely makes me sad that after everything that they've been through, they can't have that one moment. Well, maybe when the show gets canceled, they will end on a nice finale. Don't or say maybe that. they will end on more murder. I, I don't say that because, like, you know what happens with Netflix. I don't. I don't trust them to not cancel something and like not even bother to wrap it up. So fucking true. I, yeah. I hate that so much. It makes me angry. And like, for about Santa Clarita Diet. Oh, uh, that the OA. At least they give Sensei, you know, a closure, which they yeah. offered to those two shows. It's it's infuriating. This so hopefully- this show has to go on though. You would think, knowing that, that creators would write finales that could serve as series finales, but like definitely this one couldn't. Like, like ba- you're basically telling showrunners that they should create their like family emergency binder just in case. Yep. All right. I mean, it's not. It's not unheard of. It's a. It's a common practice, or at least yeah. on network when the show was on the bubble. This this is where where like my inner Judy comes in and I can I can only be like positive and hopeful and be like like if you don't if you don't write that de- it's like if I plan for the worst and the worst will happen but if I don't plan for I I don't know I think I just said that backward no, I get you I get you I don't know you are absolutely farther towards Judy on the spectrum like I, there's so little Jen in you yeah you're I do- not a rageful person. In 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 the privacy of my my own world and not on in camera land, I do say the f word a lot. Though we've covered that. Oh yeah, yeah. You fucking caught that fly. Oh man, never forget. <laughs> I'm trying to hold back right now, but ah, oh, fuck it. Why not? Oh yeah, we're ruined anyway because I I curse every three seconds. <laughs> it's all right. Hopeless. We're gonna we're gonna give ourselves a little selves a little leeway right now. We can fucking run and do whatever we want. (laughs) All right. This is like when Alton Brown curses on his YouTube. Wait, what? Alton Brown curses on his YouTube. I don't watch his YouTube, but maybe I should now. It's the best. Really? And his wife do these like hour long cooking shows where they just kind of goof around and they're so obviously in love. It makes you feel like you're hanging out with really cool married friends. Uh, Mm -hmm. And 
you know, he built a career around being so pure and family friendly and accessible. It's really, really funny when he, he gets a little wild. I need to check that out. He's, he's horny for his wife. It's something to see. Good for him. Yeah, it's lovely. But it's like I'm not used to horny Elton Brown. That's new. <laughs> I'm going to go look that up later. Um, I guess we, oh my God, look how long we've been talking for. Um, it's a full episode. We still have one more show to get to. So goodbye, dead to me, spoilers. Give me a season three. Um, let's talk about this other Netflix show that's in season one. There's six episodes and it's called Into the Night. I guarantee you, before we finish this conversation, I'll call it Into the Dark at least once. Not, it's called, not happening. It's called Into the Night. In case you have not seen it yet, it's about a group of people who are about to go on a plane, and they come to realize that the sun has turned into something dangerous. So Into the Night is the plane essentially flying into the night and them outrunning it. Yeah, it's the most gloriously simple construct. It's like the sun will kill you. Fly to darkness. That's the show. I, I'm going to give everyone a heads up that Haley kindly gave me and I ignored. Huh. This show is based on a book. The synopsis of the book is like the biggest freaking spoiler in the world. Do not read even the synopsis of the book. But we're going to we're going to talk about that when we get to the spoiler section, but non-spoilers only first. So I was texting you as I was watching it because you watched it all first and then I watched it. I liked it a lot from the second it started, but it felt to me like a show that really needed to stick the season one landing for me to get super hyped about it. And it did. It worked. It took its time. It has it has that that first act um, apocalyptic movie build that I love where you could feel like the dread creeping in. And I thought that was very effective. But I really think the backbone of this show is the ensemble and the fact that it's like the the high concept premise is kept so simple and refined that you really get the chance to like live with each and every one of the uh, the members of the ensemble. And I, I don't know, they felt like such a full group to me by the end of it. I, yes, yes. I love everything about how the show was constructed. It's like totally my shit in the sense that Crawl was, you know, just like a lean vehicle to accomplish a a tight character story and that works for me so well this show like dead to me just breezes by it's it's such an easy watch it's a Mm -hmm. watch um it's a quick watch we love a 30 minute episode yes we do Um, (laughs) and and i i just really whether i fell into I don't think I really hated any of the characters, but into being frustrated with them or fell in love with them. I really fell for all the characters in a hard way because they, this show is also about guilt and forgiveness. And I think a really surprisingly kind of moving portrayal of like grace and decency and crisis, which we need to see right now, because at the top of the series, all these people are getting on a plane and they're from all over Europe. So they have all kinds of ingrained biases and bigotries towards each other. Some of them are racist. Some of them are, you know, uh, just assholes. 
Uh, some of them might be straight up crazy. Some of them might be criminals. They're they're all like different complicated characters that do not on the surface seem like they would ever get along. But the what works for me so well in this show is the consistent like, yes, you were super racist to me and I hate that. But you're also one of the last seven people I know and we need to survive. Mm-hmm. So let's find a point of grace where we can meet. That quality also makes the uh, the tension of the show explosive. It's like it doesn't matter what they're doing. And if it seems like in that given moment, the odds are in their favor. You know that as a group, any one of them could be the one to ignite the powder keg and just ruin everything in that moment. So it's like I was on edge from start to finish. I do wish like we got that I wish the season was longer because like I said I really like how lean and effective it is but I do wish we got some backstory on a few of the characters that we didn't yeah well Um, I I have a feeling they're gonna do that in the next season if the next season happens yes I imagine it would because it's very popular internationally it hasn't quite taken off here but uh yet you know sometimes these international shows are more of a slow burn but I really, the one that's, sorry, I'm looking up her name right now. If my eyes are going crazy. Um, Laura. Laura. Yeah. She was great. I want to know about Laura so I bad. Wanna, I want to know about her too. I just like, like, I loved her vibe. I loved like, like she had just such an air of confidence to her in certain moments, but like always knew when to let that like vulnerability creep in. And I don't know. I just like, I felt for her nonstop. I just, I love these characters. I love how they were approached. Um, an example of someone who I fell for, despite the fact that I don't like him, would be the older gentleman who's super... Rick. Is that the... I can't remember his yeah. name. Yeah. I, I'm not going to say anything about him until we get to the spoiler section, because he wound up being one of my favorite characters. Me too. He's great. Uh, just a fascinating journey tucked into this very... Mm-hmm show like it's it's amazing how much they managed to jam in there with such a tight runtime and not even like it's an active show you know they're always trying to survive so it, it's really just directly laced into the action mm-hmm. can we just talk about spoilers now we're, we're almost out of time anyway. i can't all right spoilers for into the night Season one, if you have not watched the full season, do not listen to any more of The Witching Hour. You guys are great. Thanks for being here. But now it's only spoiler for the rest of the episode. So I'll just I'll start with with Rick. That character has, I think, the most significant arc of anybody in the entire show. I could not believe the assumptions I made about him and about his behavior and who he turned out to be. But also the time the show takes to let you like be in his shoes and really feel what he's learning. Yeah. He, he's also, he's just so expressive with processing what's happening around him. And I don't know, especially towards the end of the show when he thinks um, Ayaz is dead and he has that moment where, where it's like all computing and I'm looking at this actor's face and it feels like, you know, like the character's head is about to explode. He can't handle it. He can't figure out what to do. But like, then he makes decisions. I mean, all that stuff just landed so, so well. The, the That damn jewelry advertisement broke my heart. Oh. Just broke my heart in pieces. 
I mean, and I didn't even like that guy. I mean, I, I did grow to, like I said, I fell for him. Yeah. He's a tough cookie to like at first. Uh, and his, his dynamic, his dynamic with Ayaz is like my favorite part of the show. And really, I think the pinnacle of that point of grace I was talking about where people mm-hmm. through their, their preconceived notions to, to something better. Yeah. He, he was definitely a standout towards the end. And uh, Ayaz was a standout the entire time. Love him. Yeah. We're, we're big fans. My dude. I just like, man, if, I I almost was like I don't know if I still want to watch the show if he's dead like he's my favorite character and I still would have watched it obviously but I was ready to like it a lot less at least not this soon it's too early to kill off Ayaz you know yeah I I don't even know I, I don't I don't know what like even though I know now what's gonna happen eventually I I can't figure out how they get from there to there you know. No, that's a whole thing. It's uh, like, if and when season two does start, like, how much more time does it, how much more time do we get with these characters as we know them from season one before they drop that bomb, you know? So what she's referring to is the synopsis for the book, which, again, don't read, uh, it, which which reveals that basically the entirety of season one has nothing to do with the overarching story whatsoever, aside from the apocalypse. Um it's really wild and I have no idea how they're going to get there and make it work having fallen so hard for these characters. That's why I'm having such a hard time coming up with season two predictions for the show. And it's like, even like the fates of the cat, the characters, because like, again, it was such a, like a simple, pure concept and like their, their growth is going to be so heavily dependent on how the apocalypse game changes. Yeah. And, like, I, I can't quite figure out how they're all going to react to that. I don't even, yeah, I don't know how you pull it off. Maybe they will opt to go a completely different direction from the book. You know, they don't necessarily have to follow that's it. That's true. That I mean, that's very true. That's what they did with the 100. They took the core premise and then they made something completely different. Okay. All right. That's um, a real thing. Um, I'm curious, though, if they do go that way, it's going to be quite something. No, I that there really will be. I think um I I mean apologies, I'm not gonna pronounce any of these names right. The the first guy at the beginning, Terenzio, I think he might be one of the most frustrating characters that I've had to sit with for the entirety of a season. Like, damn him for jerking my emotions and my allegiances around. It's like every single time I'm like, Oh, like you could get better like, no, you suck. You suck. We were, talking, we were talking in the Collider Slack about characters we would fist fight. He's up there. Oh, I, I'd love to punch him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. And I, I really liked the choice they made with Sylvie at the end regarding Terenzio and her choice yeah. to keep him there. That felt very Giles and Buffy to me. Giles always makes the hard choices that Buffy can't. Yeah. She, I feel like she she earned all of her growth throughout the season too. Yeah, it's like every, like every decision she made big or small, like I believed every single thing about it, everything about what drove her to do it. And like how the lessons learned from episodes before applied to what she was doing now. That was, she, she was, if I had to pick a favorite character, it would probably be her. Oh, mine's definitely Ayaz, but I like yeah. her a lot. Um, I, like- I think that they did, 
such a good job with like it's a dark character but they don't get hung up on it but they mm-hmm. also respect that trauma and acknowledge it and it's you know the fact that she was willing to die is rooted in her whole survival technique i would say but yeah um but it's not like a mopey bummer thing all right just to to make a little bit of a prediction now okay. so season two starts we're we're in that bunker like what do you think is going to be the next step like are, are the people that took them in actually going to help them or is it going to be a situation where this is a, an apocalyptic scenario where you know what you think is the enemy isn't really the enemy and it's actually just humans i'm sure there's going to be some bad humans in there but given the the course that the show has been taking my hope is that they don't go the walking dead route and that they continue to pursue that meeting point where people who shouldn't work together find a way to do so Mm -hmm. um i think that she'll probably have to face some consequences for what happened with terenzio that's probably coming back um i would imagine there's going to be more world building, but I hope they don't do too much of that because the sun will kill you is perfectly simple. And I don't need to know why. Well, they're definitely doing more world building because like we barely scratched the surface of the food situation. Yeah. And oh, like, right. I mean, there's the food, there's the gas like that. That just feels like, like they're dominoes. Like there's so many things that we haven't even realized are going to be affected in a similar way that are necessities to human beings surviving. Anything organic. We're bound to like plow into more scenarios like that. Which is why I guess, sorry, we're talking around this, but I don't want to say it if you don't want to know it. I guess that's why ultimately the book has to go the way it does. I guess. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, like immediately after discussing what we just said. All right. I think we should say goodbye to anybody who doesn't want to hear us briefly talk about the book. Is that okay? Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, So if you're just watching the show and you've never read the book, I would highly advise that you leave now. But for anybody who is aware of the book, this is a very worthwhile conversation to have, especially if we're going to start predicting what could happen in season two. So now it's happening. Goodbye. Okay. So the book, the robot thing. They become robots. Yeah. If, if there is, if there is like a thing making this happen, like I, I would just be surprised if it surprises me that no other invasion apocalypse movie has ever dealt with, um, or at least nothing that's coming to mind right now that, that this would be the way to really like decimate humanity. Like, to take away every freaking thing that could keep them alive. Like, you know, like, someone using their brain power to say, if I kill all organic matter, like, they're fucked. That's it. It's over. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's a really great concept. And I'm so mad that someone came up with it before me. Uh, Because it's so good. I love everything about it. But really, like, without any surviving organic matter... They have to become robots, right? That's the only solution. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't... I Like, I really don't know. Like, I can't process this because I've never fully experienced something like this before, on right. screen at least. It's going to be so interesting. I mean, I imagine what they'd have to do... 
because this seems to be fairly modestly budgeted. It's the first Belgium Netflix series. Uh, they'd probably have to make them like humanoid, right? To keep the actors and keep our investment in them. I, I guess so. Maybe like, I don't know, like tech them out with some. I, I feel like we should, we should start like Googling if there's any fan art or something out there. Oh, that's fun. But it's going to be a lot of ideas. But like, I almost, I almost wish that there's an, like, I wish that another, you know, major studio blockbuster apocalypse movie would take a cue from this. And like, like, could you imagine if rather than like having invading aliens, like just like decimate humans, like one figured out a way to like tap the sun, right? Kind of like kill, almost like killing us from the inside out. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I mean? Like without actually doing anything, but you did do something. You know, I don't know. I've I've gotten very hung up on that idea, but I I really don't understand how they're going to story wise and stylistically make the shift from what we see in season one to what is explained in the synopsis of the book. Right. I just don't. I mean, like, I don't understand. I just don't see it having the budget to do a cast full, an ensemble of robots. Like that's so expensive. <laughs> It's so. Can I just read the the Wikipedia plot real quick? Sure. All right. The novel presents a post-apocalyptic cyberpunk vision of Earth where biological life has been wiped out, inhabited by robots and mechs, many of which are humans whose consciousness has been digitized in the wake of an extinction event. I'm like just like I'm trying to process it and figure out how this works. And I can't, I can't. I'm like, at all. I hate waiting. I hate waiting, but I, you know, and I, I know it's a big swing and they probably don't have the budget to do it, but I hope they take that swing with a concept like that. I hope they at least try. Okay. I'd rather see, I'd rather see them try at this and fail. There's ways around it. Like, I mean, again, you could make them humanoid robots and just like do some makeup effects that make them look a little robotic. It doesn't have to be like a full on, you know, like metal bot bot. Um, and it's like, because it's not even like even when you read the synopsis, it's many of which are humans whose consciousness has been digitized. So it's like then all also these humans are creating like other lines of robots. Right. And we always like we know, thanks to movies, what happens when humans create robots. I guess I'll have to read this dang book. Yeah, maybe we should just read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have to say regarding effects. Did you notice the shoddy CGI in Dead to Me, season two? No? I don't think so. Nothing's coming to mind right now. Okay. I was like, what is happening here? And then it occurred to me they probably couldn't fully finish because of the Uh But there are shots like in a car or when someone's in a doorway where you're like, green screen. The scene that I like so much with um, Perez and Jen the but I, I also tend to notice that a lot in movies and shows where I really like I I really dislike the the digitized like things are going by while you're in a car. Like that always catches my eye. So I just I don't know, I kind of just brush that off as another instance where I'm taking that too seriously. No, it's pretty noticeable because there's also a shot of Ben in a doorway where he's got like the beautiful Orange County background mm-hmm. behind him and it's mm-hmm. very clearly a green screen. So I, okay. I imagine it was just a production thing where the schedule ran up against a worldwide pandemic. 
I can't remember that that specific one, but the cars, I definitely noticed that, but I always notice that. <laughs> That's like like if I had to pick a big uh, a big uh, movie TV pet peeve, that would be one of mine. That and people waking up after a long night's sleep with a full face of makeup and beautiful hair. Yeah. That, yeah. Also perfect makeup and hair in the apocalypse is a problem. Especially anyone with bangs. Like, <laughs> it is just not, unless like you are sleeping like this and not moving or breathing, like your bangs are, your bangs are fucked in the morning. <laughs> All right. All right. It's Friday. It's Friday. Now, or at least for, for me on the East Coast, it's officially Friday. Nice. But, yeah, I got to yeah, work for a while. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was our big uh, mashup of, uh, God, it feels like we talked about Scoob yesterday. Scoob <laughs> to me and into the night. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you need more movie and TV content, you know what you should do? You should read everything Haley's working on right now, which you could find where? Uh, on Collider, of course, and and likewise for Perry, who's who's always doing so many interviews. You, I was complaining about having to like be camera ready, you know, because of all the effort I put in. Um, but you have to do it like every day. I feel like it's been every every day but one. Wow, That's a lot. Yeah, I don't want to see that many people. God bless you. If it makes you feel better, though, like <laughs> I. I haven't put on real pants, like presentable pants, in two months. I'm wearing pants right now, I swear, but they're sweatpants. Yeah, no. Real pants are for clowns. Who wants to wear jeans at home? It's like I'm I'm shooting something personal later where you probably will be able to see my legs, so maybe I should put on jeans, but I can't bring myself to do it. (laughs) I'm just going to wear my sweatpants. Stay comfortable. (laughs) Um, Where can everyone find you on the socials? Oh, at Haley Fouch on Twitter, at Haystack McGroovy on Instagram, and at Haley Fouch on Letterboxd. And I'm at Pete Emeroff on Twitter and Instagram. Dewey's done. He exhausted himself within the first five minutes of this show, so he's going to go nap. I'm going to go feed them. Haley, we we did it. We did it. Another week. All right, guys. That's it. We're out of here. You've officially survived the witching hour. 